Section 71 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Sewermen and Nightmen of London. We now come to the consideration of the last of the several classes of labourers engaged in the removal of the species of refuse from the metropolis. I have before said that the public refuse of a town consists of two kinds, one, the street refuse, two, the house refuse. Of each of these kinds there are two species, a, the dry, b, the wet. The dry street refuse consists, as we have seen, of the refuse earth, bricks, mortar, oyster shells, potsherds and pancherds, and the dry house refuse of the soot and ashes of our fires. The wet street refuse consists, on the other hand, of the mud, slop, and surface water of our public thoroughfares, and the wet house refuse of what is familiarly known as the slops of our residences, and the liquid refuse of our factories and slaughterhouses. We have already collected the facts in connection with the three first of these subjects. We have ascertained the total amount of each of these species of refuse which have to be annually removed from the capital. We have set forth the aggregate number of labourers who are engaged in the removal of it, as well as the gross sum that is paid for so doing, showing the individual earnings of each of the workmen, and arriving as near as possible at the profits of their employers, as well as the condition of the employed. This has been done, it is believed, for the first time in this country, and if the subject has led us into longer discussions than usual, the importance of the matter considered in a sanitary point of view, is such that a moment's reflection will convince us of the value of the inquiry, especially in connection with a work which aspires to embrace the whole of the offices performed by the labourers of the capital of the British Empire. It now but remains for us to complete this novel and vast inquiry by settling the condition and earnings of the men engaged in the removal of the last species of public refuse. I shall consider first the aggregate quantity of wet house refuse that has to be annually removed. Secondly, the means adopted for the removal of it. Thirdly, the cost of so doing. And lastly, the number of men engaged in this kind of work, as well as the wages paid to them, and the physical, intellectual and moral condition in which they exist, or, more properly speaking, are allowed to remain of the wet house refuse of london all house refuse of a liquid or semi-liquid character is wet refuse it may be called semi-liquid when it has become mingled with any solid substance though not so fully as to have lost its property of fluidity its natural power to flow along a suitable inclination wet house refuse consists of the slops of a household it consists indeed of all waste water, whether from the supply of the water companies or from the rainfall collected on the roofs or yards of the houses, of the suds of the washerwomen and the water used in every department of scouring, cleansing or cooking. It consists moreover of the refuse proceeds from the several factories, dye houses and so on, of the blood and other refuse, not devoted to Prussian blue manufacture, or sugar refining, from the butcher slaughterhouses and the knackers, horse slaughterers, yards, as well as the refuse fluid from all chemical processes, 
quantities of chemically impregnated water, for example, being pumped as soon as exhausted from the tanpits of Bermondsey into the drains and sewers. From the great hat manufactories, chiefly also in Bermondsey and other parts of the borough, there is a constant flow of water mixed with dyes and other substances to add to the wet refuse of London. It is evident then that all the water consumed or wasted in the metropolis must form a portion of the total sum of the wet refuse. There is, however, the exception of what is used for the watering of gardens, which is absorbed at once by the soil and its vegetable products. We must also exclude such portion of water as is applied to the laying of the road and street dust on dry summer days, and which forms a part of the street mud, or mac, of the scavenger's cart, rather than of the sewerage. And we must further deduct the water derived from the street plugs for the supply of the fire engines, which is consumed or absorbed in the extinction of the flames, as well as the water required for the victualling of ships on the eve of a voyage, when such supply is not derived immediately from the Thames. The quantity of water required for the diet or beverage or general use of the population, the quantity consumed by the maltsters, distillers, brewers, ginger beer and soda water makers, and manufacturing chemists, for the making of tea, coffee or cocoa, and for drinking at meals, which is often derived from pumps and not from the supplies of the water companies. The water which is thus consumed, in a prepared or in a simple state, passes into the wet refuse of the metropolis in another form. Now, according to reports submitted to Parliament, when an improved system of water supply was under consideration, the daily supply of water to the metropolis is as follows. From the water companies, 44,383,329 gallons. From artesian wells, 8 million gallons. From land spring pumps, 3 million gallons. Total, 55,383,329 gallons. The yearly rainfall throughout the area of the metropolis is 172,053,477 tonnes, or 33,589,972,120 gallons, two feet deep of rain falling on every square inch of London in the course of the year. The yearly total of the water pumped or falling into the metropolis is as follows. Yearly mechanical supply, 19,215 million gallons. Yearly natural supply, 38,539,972,122 gallons. Total, 57,754,972,122 gallons. The reader will find the details of this subject at page 203 of the present volume. I recapitulate the results here to save the trouble of reference and, briefly, to present the question under one head. Of course, the rain which ultimately forms a portion of the gross wet refuse of London can be only such as falls on that part of the metropolitan area which is occupied by buildings or streets. What falls upon fields, gardens, and all open ground is absorbed by the soil. But a large proportion of the rain falling upon the streets 
is either absorbed by the dry dust or retained in the form of mud hence that only which falls on the house-tops and yards can be said to contribute largely to the gross quantity of wet refuse poured into the sewers the streets of london appear to occupy one-tenth of the entire metropolitan area and the houses estimating three hundred thousand as occupying upon an average one hundred square yards each another tithe of the surface note in east and west london there are rather more than thirty-two houses to the acre which gives an average of one hundred and fifty-one square yards to each dwelling so that allowing the streets here to occupy one-third of the area we have one hundred square yards for the space covered by each house in lewisham hampstead and wandsworth there is not one house to the acre the average number of houses per acre throughout london is four End note. the remaining ninety-two square miles out of the one hundred and fifteen now included in the registrar-general's limits which extend it should be remembered to wandsworth lewisham bow and hampstead may be said to be made up of suburban gardens fields parks and so on where the rain-water would soak into the earth we have then only two-tenths of the gross rainfall or seven thousand seven hundred million gallons that could possibly appear in the sewers and calculating one-third of this to be absorbed by the mud and dust of the streets we come to the conclusion that the total quantity of rain-water entering the sewers is in round numbers five thousand million gallons per annum reckoning therefore five thousand million gallons to be derived from the annual rainfall it appears that the yearly supply of water from all sources to be accounted for among the wet house refuse is in round numbers twenty four thousand million gallons the refuse water from the factories need not be calculated separately as its supply is included in the water mechanically supplied and the loss from evaporation in boiling and so on would be perfectly insignificant if deducted from the vast annual supply but three hundred and fifty million gallons have been allowed for this and other losses there is still another source of the supply of wet house refuse unconnected either with the rainfall or the mechanical supply of water i mean such proportion of the blood or other refuse from the butchers and knackers premises as is washed into the sewers official returns show that the yearly quantity of animals sold in smithfield is horned cattle two hundred and twenty four thousand sheep one million five hundred and fifty thousand calves twenty seven thousand three hundred pigs forty thousand total one million eight hundred and forty one thousand three hundred the blood flowing from a slaughtered bullock whether killed according to the christian or the jewish fashion amounts on an average to twenty quarts from a sheep to six or seven quarts from a pig five quarts and the same quantity from a calf the blood from a horse slaughtered in a knacker's yard is about the same as that from a bullock this blood used to bring far higher prices to the butcher than can now be realized in the evidence taken by a select committee of the house of commons in eighteen forty nine concerning smithfield market mr wilde of the fox and knot yard smithfield stated that he slaughtered about one hundred and eighty cattle weekly we have a sort of well made in the slaughter-house he said which receives the blood i receive about one pound a week for it it goes twice a day to mr tunn's at bow common 
we used to receive a good deal more for it. Even the market for blood at Mr. Tunn's is, I am informed, now done away with. He was a manufacturer of artificial manure, a preparation of night soil, blood, and so on, baked in what may be called cakes, and exported chiefly to our sugar-growing colonies for manure. His manure yard has been suppressed. I am assured, on the authority of experienced butchers, that at the present time fully three-fourths of the blood from the animals slaughtered in London becomes a component part of the wet refuse I treat of, being washed into the sewers. The more wholesale slaughterers, now that blood is of little value, nine gallons in Whitechapel market, the blood of two beasts, less by a gallon, can be bought for threepence. Send this animal refuse down the drains of their premises, in far greater quantities than was formerly their custom. Now, reckoning only three-fourths of the blood from the cattle slaughtered in the metropolis to find its way into the sewers, we have, according to the numbers above given, the following yearly supply. From horned cattle, 840,000 gallons. From sheep, 1,743,000 gallons. From pigs, 37,500 gallons. From calves, 25,590 gallons. Total, 2,646,090 gallons. This is merely the blood from the animals sold in Smithfield Market, the lambs not being included in the return, while a great many pigs and calves are slaughtered by the London tradesmen without their having been shown in Smithfield. The ordure from a slaughtered bullock is on an average from a half to three quarters hundredweight. Many beasts yield one hundredweight, and cows killed full of grass as much as two hundredweight. Of this excrementitious matter, I am informed, about a fourth part is washed into the sewers. In sheep, calves, and pigs, however, there is very little ordure when slaughtered, only three or four pounds in each as an average. Of the number of horses killed, there is no official or published account. One man familiar with the subject calculated it at one hundred weekly. All the blood from the knacker's yard is, I am told, washed into the sewers. Consequently, its yearly amount will be 26,000 gallons. But even this is not the whole of the wet house refuse of London. There are, in addition, the excreta of the inhabitants of the houses. These are said to average a quarter pound daily per head, including men, women and children. It is estimated by Bussingall and confirmed by Liebig that each individual produces a quarter pound of solid excrement and one and a quarter pounds of liquid excrement per day, making one and a half pounds each, or a hundred and fifty pounds per one hundred individuals, of semi-liquid refuse from the water closet. But, says the surveyor of the Metropolitan Commission of Sewers, there is other refuse resulting from culinary operations to be conveyed through the drains, and the whole may be about £250 for 100 persons. The more fluid part of this refuse, however, is included in the quantity of water before given, so that there remains only the more solid excrementitious matter to add to the previous total. This, then, is a quarter pound daily and individually, or, from the metropolitan population of nearly two and a half million, a daily supply of £600,000 rather more than 267 tonnes, and a yearly aggregate for the whole metropolis of 219 million pounds, 
or very nearly about 100,000 tons. From the foregoing account, then, the following is shown to be the gross quantity of the wet house refuse of the metropolis. Slops and unabsorbed rainwater, 24,000 million gallons, equaling 240,000 million pounds. Blood of beasts, 2,646,000 gallons, equal to 26,460,000 pounds. Blood of horses, 26,000 gallons, equal to 260,000 pounds. Excreta, 219 million pounds. Dung of slaughtered cattle, 17,400,000 pounds. Total, 24,002,657,000 gallons, equal to 240,263,120,000 pounds. Hence we may conclude that the more fluid portion of the wet house refuse of London amounts to 24,000 million gallons per annum, and that altogether it weighs in round numbers about 240,000 million pounds, or 100 million tons. As these refuse products are not so much matters of trade or sale as other commodities, of course less attention has been given to them in the commercial attributes of weight and admeasurement. I will endeavour, however, to present a uniform table of the whole great mass of metropolitan wet house refuse in cubic inches. The imperial standard gallon is of the capacity 277.274 cubic inches, and estimating the solid excrement spoken of as the ordinary weight of earth, or of the soil of the land, at 18 cubic feet the tonne, we have the following result, calculating in round numbers. Wet house refuse of the metropolis. Liquid, 24,000 million gallons, equal to 6,600,000 million cubic inches. Solid, 100,000 tonnes, equal to 3,110,400,000 cubic inches. Thus, by this process of admeasurement, we find the wet house refuse of London equals 6,603,110,400,000 cubic inches or 3,820 million cubic feet. Figures best show the extent of this refuse inexpressible to common appreciation by numbers that have name. Of the means of removing the wet house refuse. Whether this mass of filth be, zymotically, the cause of cholera, or whether it be, as cannot be questioned, a means of agricultural fertility, and therefore of national wealth, it must be removed. I need not dilate in explaining a necessity which is obvious to every man with uncorrupted physical senses and with the common moral sense of decency. Dr. Paley, it is said, in a recent report to the Metropolitan Commission of Sewers, gave to Burkert and other travellers a set of instructions as to points of observation of the manners and conditions of the populations amongst whom they travelled, one of the leading instructions was to observe how they disposed of their excreta, for what they did with that showed him what men were. He also inquired what structure they had to answer the purpose of a privy, and what were their habits in respect to it. This information Dr. Paley desired not for popular use, but for himself, for he was accustomed to say that the facts connected with that topic 
give him more information as to the real condition and civilization of a population than most persons would be aware of. It would inform him of their real habits of cleanliness, of real decency, self-respect, and connected moral habits of high social importance. It would inform him of the real state of police, and of local administration, and much of the general government. The human order which defiles the churches, the bases of public edifices, and works of art in Rome and Naples, and the Italian cities, gives more sure indications of the real moral and social position of the Italian population than any impressions derived from the edifices and works of art themselves. The subject in relation to which the Jewish lawgiver gave most particular directions is one in which the serious attention and labour of public administrators may be claimed. The next question is, how is the wet house refuse to be removed? There are two ways. One, one is to transport it to a river or some powerfully current stream by a series of ducts. Two, the other is to dig a hole in the neighbourhood of the house, there collect the wet refuse of the household, and when the hole or pit becomes full, remove the contents to some other part. In London, the most obvious means of getting rid of a nuisance is to convey it into the Thames, nor has this been done in London only. In Paris, the Seine is the receptacle of the sewage, but comparatively to a much smaller extent than in London. The faecal deposits accumulated in the houses of the French capital are drained into fixed and movable cesspools. The contents of both these descriptions of cesspools, of which I shall give an account when I treat of the cesspool system, are removed periodically under the direction of the government to large receptacles called voiries at Montfaucon and the forest of Bondy, where such refuse is made into portable manure. The evils of this system are not a few, but the river is spared the greater pollution of the Thames. Neither is the Seine swayed by the tide as is the Thames, for in London the very sewers are affected by the tidal influence and are not to be entered until some time before or after high water. I need not do more for my present inquiry than allude to the Liffey, the Clyde, the Humber, and others of the rivers of the United Kingdom being used for purposes of sewerage as channels to carry off that of which the law prohibits the retention. Of the folly, not to say wickedness, of this principle there can be no doubt. The vegetation which gives demands food. The grass will wither without its fitting nutriment of manure as the sheep would perish without the pasturage of the grass. Nature, in temperate and moist climates, is, so to speak, her own manurer, her own restorer. The sheep, which are as wild and active as goats, manure the Cumberland fells in which they feed. In the more cultivated sheep walks, or indeed in the general pasturage, of the northern and some of the midland counties, women, with a wooden implement, may be continually seen in the later autumn, or earlier and milder winter, distributing the stercoraceous treasure, as Cooper calls it, which the animals, to use the North Yorkshire word, have dropped, as well as any extraneous manure, which may have been spread for the purpose. As population and the demand for bread increase, the need of extraneous manures also increases, and nature, in her beneficence, has provided that the greater the consumption of food, 
the greater shall be the promoters of its reproduction by what is loathsome to man but demanded by vegetation liebig as i shall afterwards show more fully contends that many an arid and desolate region in the east brown and burnt with barrenness became a desolation because men understood not the restoration which all nature demands for the land he declares that the now desolate regions of the east had been made desolate because the inhabitants did not understand the art of restoring exhausted soil it would be hopeless now to form or attempt to form the hanging gardens or to display the rich fluorescence round about babylon to be seen when alexander the great died in that city the tigris and euphrates before and after their junction liebig maintains have carried and to a circumscribed degree still carry into the sea a sufficient amount of manure for the reproduction of food for millions of human beings it is said that could that matter only be arrested in its progress and converted into bread and wine fruit and beef mutton and wool linen and cotton then cities might flourish once more in the desert where men are now digging for the relics of primitive civilization and discovering the symbols of luxury and ease beneath the barren sand and the sunburnt clay this is one great evil but in our metropolis there is a greater a far greater beyond all in degree even if the same abuse exist elsewhere what society with one consent pronounces filth the evacuations of the human body is not only washed into the thames and the land so deprived of a vast amount of nutriment but the tide washes these evacuations back again with other abominations the water we use is derived almost entirely from the thames and therefore the water in which we boil our vegetables and our meat the water for our coffee and tea the water brewed for our consumption comes to us and is imbibed by us impregnated over and over again with our own animal offal we import guano and drink a solution of our own faeces a manure which might be made far more valuable than the foreign guano such are a few of the evils of making a common sewer of the neighbouring river the other mode of removal is to convey the wet house refuse by drains to a hole near the house where it is produced and empty it periodically when full the house drainage throughout london has two characteristics by one system all excrementitious and slop refuse generally is carried usually along brick drains from the water closets privies sinks lavatories and so on of the houses into the cesspools where it accumulates until its removal by manual labour becomes necessary which is not as an average more than once in two years by the other and the newer system all the house refuse is drained into the public sewer the cesspool system being thereby abolished all the houses built or rebuilt since 1848 are constructed on the last-mentioned principle of drainage. The first of these modes is cesspoolage, the second is sewerage. I shall first deal with the sewerage of the metropolis. Of the quantity of metropolitan sewage. Having estimated the gross quantity of wet house refuse produced throughout London in the course of the year, and explain the two modes of removing it from the immediate vicinity of the house i will now proceed to set forth the quantity of wet house refuse matter 
which it has been ascertained is removed with the contents of London sewers. An experiment was made on the average discharge of sewage from the outlets of Church Lane and Smith Street, Chelsea, Ranala, King Scholars Pond, Grosvenor Wharf, Horseferry Road, Wood Street, King Street, Northumberland Street, Durham Yard, Norfolk Street, and Essex Street, the four last-mentioned places running from the Strand. The experiments were made under ordinary and extraordinary circumstances in the months of May, June, and July 1844, but the system is still the same, so that the result in the investigation as to the sewage of the year 1844 may be taken as a near criterion of the present, as regards the localities specified and the general quantity. The surface drained into the outlets before enumerated covers in its total area about 7,000 acres, of which nearly 3,500 may be classed as urban. The observations, moreover, were made generally during fine weather. I cannot do better by way of showing the reader the minuteness with which these observations were made than by quoting the two following results, being those of the fullest and smallest discharges of twelve issues into the river. I must premise that these experiments were made on seven occasions, from May 4th to July 12th inclusive, and made at different times, but generally about eight hours after high water. In the Northumberland Street sewer, from which was the largest issue, the width of the sewer at the outlet was five feet. In the King Street sewer, the smallest discharge, as given in the second table, the width of the sewer was four feet. The width, however, does not affect the question, as there was a greater issue from the Norfolk Street sewer of two feet than from the King Street sewer of four feet in width. Northumberland Street May 4th Velocity 4.6 feet per second Quantity discharged 10.511 cubic feet per second May 9th Velocity 4.0 feet per second Quantity discharged 6.8 cubic feet per second June 5th Velocity 4.0 feet per second Quantity discharged 6.8 cubic feet per second June 10th Velocity 4.6 feet per second. Quantity discharged 10.35 cubic feet per second. June 11th. Velocity 4.92 feet per second. Quantity discharged 12.3 cubic feet per second. June 16th. Velocity 3.6 feet per second. Quantity discharged 5.94 cubic feet per second. July 12th. Velocity 2.76 feet per second. Quantity discharged 3.3948 cubic feet per second. Total quantity discharged 56.0958 cubic feet per second. Being mean discharge per second 8.013685 cubic feet. Ditto per 24 hours 692,382 cubic feet. King Street, May 4th, velocity 0.147 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.021756 cubic feet per second, May 9th, velocity 0.333 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.07992 cubic feet per second, June 5th, velocity 0.170 feet per second, 
quantity discharged 0.0204 cubic feet per second. June 10th, velocity 0.311 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.064688 cubic feet per second. June 11th, velocity 0.3 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.048 cubic feet per second. June 16th, velocity 0.101 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.00404 cubic feet per second. July 12th, velocity 0.103 feet per second, quantity discharged 0.00824 cubic feet per second. Total quantity discharged 0.247044 cubic feet per second. Mean discharge per second 0.035292 cubic feet. Ditto per 24 hours, 3,049 cubic feet. Here we find that the mean discharge per second was from the Northumberland Street sewer 692,382 cubic feet per 24 hours and from the King Street sewer 3,049 cubic feet per 24 hours. The discharge from the principal outlets in the Westminster district being the mean of seven observations taking during the summer was 1,798,094 cubic feet in 24 hours. The number of acres drained was 7,006. The mean discharge per acre in the course of 24 hours was found to be about 256 cubic feet, comprising the urban and suburban parts. The sewage, from the discharge of which this calculation was derived, and the dryness of the weather must not be lost sight of, may be fairly assumed as derived in a dry season almost entirely from artificial sources or house drainage, as there was no rainfall or but little. Supposing, therefore, the report states, the entire surface to be urban, we have 540 cubic feet as the mean daily discharge per acre. If, however, the average be taken of the first eight outlets, namely from Essex Street to Grosvenor Wharf inclusive, which drain a surface wholly urban, the result is 1,260 cubic feet per acre in the 24 hours. This excess may be attributed to the number of manufactories and the densely populated nature of the locality drained, but as indicative of the general amount of sewage due to ordinary urban districts, the former ought perhaps to be considered the fairer average. It is then assumed, I may say officially, that the average discharge of the urban and suburban sewage from the several districts included within an area of 58 square miles is equal to 256 cubic feet per acre. The extent of the jurisdiction included within this area is, on the north side of the Thames, 43 square miles, and on the Surrey and Kent side, 15 square miles. The ordinary daily amount of sewage discharged into the river on the north side is therefore 7,045,120 cubic feet, and on the south side, 2,457,600 cubic feet, making a total of 9,502,720 cubic feet, or a quantity equivalent to a surface of more than 36 acres in extent and 6 feet in depth. This mass of sewage, it must be borne in mind, 
is but the daily product of the sewage of the more populous part of the districts included within the jurisdiction of the two commissions of sewers. The foregoing observations, calculations and deductions have supplied the basis of many scientific and commercial speculations, but it must be remembered that they were taken between seven and eight years ago. The observations were made, moreover, during fine summer weather generally, while the greatest discharge is during rainy weather. There has been also an increase of sewers in the metropolis because an increase of streets and inhabited houses. The approximate proportion of the increase of sewers, and there is no precise account of it, is pretty nearly that of the streets, linearly. Another matter has, too, of late years added to the amount of sewage, the abolition of cesspoolage in a considerable degree, owing to the late building and sanitary acts, so that faecal and culinary matters, which were drained into the cesspool to be removed by the nightmen, are now drained into the sewer. Altogether, I am assured, on good authority, the daily discharge of the sewers extending over 58 square miles of the metropolis may be now put at 10 million cubic feet, instead of rather more than 9.5 millions, and this gives, as the annual amount of discharge from the sewers, 3,650 million cubic feet. The total amount of wet house refuse, according to the calculation before given, is 3,820 million cubic feet. Hence, there remains 170 million cubic feet. Now, it will be seen that the total area from which this amount of sewage is said to be drained is 58 square miles. But the area of London, according to the Registrar-General's limits, is 115 square miles. So that the 3,650 million cubic feet of sewage annually removed from 58 square miles of the metropolis refer to only one half of the entire area of the true metropolis but it refers at the same time to that part of london which is the most crowded with houses and since in the suburbs the buildings average about two to the acre and in the densest parts of london about thirty it is but fair to assume that the refuse would be at least in the same proportion and that is very nearly the fact for if we suppose the 58 miles of the suburban districts to yield 20 times less sewage than the 58 miles of the urban districts, we shall have 182,500,000 cubic feet to add to the 3,650 million cubic feet before given, or 3,832,500,000 for the sewage of the entire metropolis. It does not appear that the sewage has ever been weighed so as to give any definite result, but calculating from the weight of water, a gallon or 10 pounds of water comprising 277.274 cubic inches and one ton of liquid comprising 36 cubic feet, the total from the returns of the investigation in 1844 would be quantity of sewage daily emptied into the Thames 278,000 tonnes ditto annually 101,390,000 tonnes. In September 1849, Mr. Banfield, at one time a commissioner of sewers, put the yearly quantity of sewage discharged into the Thames at 45 million tonnes, but this is widely at variance with the returns as to quantity. Of Ancient Sewers 
The traverser of the London streets rarely thinks, perhaps, of the far-extended subterranean architecture below his feet. Yet such is indeed the case, for the sewers of London, with all their imperfections, irregularities, and even absurdities, are still a great work, certainly not equal in all respects to what once must have existed in Rome, but second, perhaps, only to the giant works of sewerage in the Eternal City. The origin of these Roman sewers seems to be wrapped in as great a mystery as the foundation of the city itself. The statement of the Roman historians is that these sewers were the works of the elder Tarquin, the fifth apocryphal king of Rome. Tarquin's dominions, from the same accounts, did not in any direction extend above sixteen miles, and his subjects could be but banditti, foragers, and shepherds. One conjecture is that Rome stands on the site of a more ancient city, and that to its earlier possessors may be attributed the work of the sewers. To attribute them to the rudeness and small population of Tarquin's day, it is contended, is as feasible as it would be to attribute the ruins of ancient Jerusalem, or any others in Asia Minor, to the Turks, or the ruins of Palmyra to the Arabs, because these people enjoy the privilege of possession. The main sewer of Rome, the Cloca Maxima, is said to have been lofty and wide enough for a wagon load of hay to pass clear along it. Another and more probable account, however, states that it was proposed to enlarge the great sewer to these dimensions, but it does not appear to have been so enlarged. Indeed, when Augustus made Rome marble, it was one of his great works also, under the direction of Agrippa, to reconstruct, improve, and enlarge the sewers. It was a project in the days of Rome's greatness to turn seven navigable rivers into vast subterraneous passages, larger sewers along which barges might pass, carrying on the traffic of imperial Rome. In one year, the cost of cleansing, renewing, and repairing the sewers is stated to have been 1,000 talents of gold, or upwards of 192,000 pounds. Of the average yearly cost, we have no information. Some accounts represent these sewers as having been rebuilt after the eruption of the Gauls. In Livy's time, they were pronounced not to be accommodated to the plan of Rome. Some portions of these ancient structures are still extant, but they seem to have attracted small notice even from professed antiquarians. Their subterranean character, however, renders such notice little possible. In two places they are still kept in repair, and for their original purpose, to carry off the filth of the city, but only to a small extent. Our legislative enactments on the subject of sewers are ancient and numerous. The oldest is that of 9 Henry III, and the principle is that of 23 Henry VIII, commonly called the Statute of Sewers. These and many subsequent statutes, however, relate only to watercourses, and are silent as regards my present topic, the refuse of London. It is remarkable how little is said in the London historians of the sewers. In the two folio volumes of the most searching and indefatigable of all the antiquarians who have described the old metropolis, John Stowe the tailor, there is no account of what we now consider sewers, enclosed and subterranean channels for the conveyance of the refuse filth of the metropolis to its destination the Thames. Had covered sewers been known, or at any rate been at all common in Stowe's day, and he died full of years in 1604, 
and had one of them presented but a crumbling stone with some heraldic or apparently heraldic device at its outlet stowe's industry would certainly have ferreted out some details such however is not the case this absence of information i hold to be owing to the fact that no such sewers then existed our present system of sewerage like our present system of street lighting is a modern work but it is not like our gas lamps an original english work we have but followed as regards our arched and subterraneous sewerage in the wake of rome as i have said the early laws of sewers relate to watercourses navigable communications dams ditches and such like there is no doubt however that in the heart of the great towns the filth of the houses was by rude contrivances in the way of drainage or natural fall emptied into such places even in the accounts of the sewers of ancient rome historians have stated that it is not easy and sometimes not possible to distinguish between the sewers and the aqueducts and dr lemon in his english etymology speaks of sewers as a species of aqueducts so in some of our earlier acts of parliament it is hardly possible to distinguish whether the provisions to be applied to the management of a sewer relate to a ditch to which house filth was carried to a channel of water for general purposes, or to an open channel being a receptacle of filth and a navigable stream at the same time. That the ditches were not sewers for the conveyance of the filth from the houses, to any very great, or rather any very general extent, may very well be concluded, because, as I have shown in my account of the early scavengers, the excrementitious matter was deposited during the night in the street, and removed by the proper functionaries in the morning, or as soon as suited their convenience. Though this was the case generally, it is evident that the filth, or a portion of it, from the houses which were built on the banks of the Fleet River, as it was then called, as well as the Fleet Ditch, and on the banks of the other brooks, drained into the current stream. The corporation accounts contain very frequent mention of the cleansing, purifying, and thorough cleansing of the Fleet Ditch, the Old Burn, Holborn Brook, the Wallbrook, and so on. Of all these streams, the most remarkable was Fleet Ditch, which was perhaps the first main sewer of London. I give from Stowe the following curious account of its origin. It is now open, but only for a short distance, offending the air of Clerkenwell. At one period it was to afford a defence to the city, as the tower moat was a defence to the tower and fortress. The ditch, which partly now remaineth, and compassed the wall of the city, was begun to be made by the Londoners in the year 1211, and finished 1213, the 15th of King John. This ditch, being then made of 200 foot broad, caused no small hindrance to the canons of the Holy Trinity, whose church stood near Eildgate, for that the said ditch passed through their ground from the tower into Bishopsgate. The first occasion of making a ditch about the city seems to have been this. William, Bishop of Ely, Chancellor of England, in the reign of King Richard I, made a great ditch round about the tower for the better defence of it against John the King's brother, the King being then out of the realm. Then did the city also begin a ditch to encompass and strengthen their walls, note, which happened between the years 1190 and 1193, end note. So the book, Dunthorne, Yet the register of Bermondsey, 
writes that the ditch was begun October 15, 1213, which was in the reign of King John that succeeded to Richard. This ditch being originally made for the defence of the city was also a long time together carefully cleansed and maintained, as need required, but now of late neglected, and forced either to a very narrow, and the same a filthy, channel. In the year of Christ, 1354, 28 Edward III, the ditch of this city flowing over the bank into the tower ditch, the king commanded the said ditch of the city to be cleansed, and so ordered that the overflowing thereof should not force any filth into the tower ditch. Anno 1379, John Philpot, Mayor of London, caused this ditch to be cleansed, and every household to pay fivepence, which was a day's work towards the charges thereof. Ralph Jocelyn, Mayor 1477, caused the whole ditch to be cast and cleansed. In 1519, the 10th of Henry VIII, for cleansing and scouring the common ditch between Aldgate and the postern next the tower ditch. The chief ditcher had by the day sevenpence, the second ditcher sixpence, the other ditchers fivepence, and every vagabond, for so they were then termed, a penny the day, meat and drink at the charges of the city, some ninety-five pounds three shillings fourpence. Fleet ditch was again cleansed in the year 1549, Stowe continues, Henry Ancoats being mayor, at the charges of the companies, and again 1569, the 11th of Queen Elizabeth, for cleansing the same ditch between Eildgate and the postern, and making a new sewer and wharf of timber from the head of the postern into the tower ditch, 814 pounds 15 shillings 8 pence was dispersed. Before the which time, the said ditch lay open without either wall or pall, having therein great store of very good fish of diverse sorts, as many men yet living who have taken and tasted them can well witness. But now no such matter. The charge of cleansing is spared, and great profit made by letting out the banks, with the spoil of the whole ditch. The above information appeared, but I am unable to specify the year, for Stowe's works went through several editions, though it is to be feared he died very poor, between 1582 and 1590. So did the following. At this day there be no ditches or bogs in the city except the said Fleet Ditch, but instead thereof large common drains and sewers made to carry away the water from the postern gate between the two tower hills to Fleet Bridge without Ludgate. Great indeed is the change in the character of the capital of England, from the times when the Fleet Ditch was a defence to the city, which was then the entire capital, and from the later era, when great store of very good fish of diverse sorts rewarded the skill or the patience of the anglers or netters. But this, it is evident, was in the parts near the river, the tower postern and so on, and at that time, or about that time, there was salmon fishing in the Thames, at least as far up as Hungerford Wharf. The Fleet Ditch seems always to have had a sewery character. It was described in 1728 as the king of dykes, than whom no sluice of mud with deeper sable blots the silver flood. The silver flood being in Queen Anne's and the First George's days, the London Thames. This silver has been much alloyed since that time. Until within these forty or fifty years, open sewer ditches, into which drains were emptied, 
and ordure and refuse thrown were frequent especially in the remoter parts of lambeth and newington and some exist to this day one especially open for a considerable distance flowing along the back of the houses in the westminster road on the right-hand side towards the bridge into which the neighbouring houses are drained the black ditch a filthy sewer until lately was open near the broadwall and other vicinities of the blackfriars road the open ditch sewers of norwood and wandsworth have often been spoken of in sanitary reports indeed some of our present sewers in addition to fleet river and walbrook are merely ditches rudely arched over the first covered and continuous street sewer was erected in london i think without doubt when wren rebuilt the capital after the great fire of sixteen sixty six perhaps there is no direct evidence of the fact for although the statutes and privy council and municipal enactments consequent on the rebuilding of the capital required more or less peremptorily fair sewers and drains and watercourses it is not defined in these enactments what was meant by a sewer nor were they carried out i may mention as a further proof that open ditches often enough stagnant ditches also were the first london sewers that after sixteen sixty six a plan originally projected it appears by sir leonard halliday mayor sixty years previously and strenuously supported at that time by nick leet a worthy and grave citizen was revived and reconsidered this project for which sir leonard and nick leet laboured much for a river to be brought on the north side of the city into it for the cleansing the sewers and ditches and for the better keeping london wholesome sweet and clean an admirable intention and it is not impossible nor improbable that in less than two centuries hence we of the present sanitary era may be accounted for our sanitary measures as senseless as we now account good sir leonard halliday and the worthy and grave nick leet these gentlemen cared not to brook filth in their houses nor to be annoyed by it in the nightly pollution of the streets but they advocated to its injection into running water and into water often running slowly and difficultly and continually under the eyes and noses of the citizens we i apprehend go a little further we drink and use for the preparation of our meals the befouled water which they did not for more than seven-eighths of our water supply from the companies is drawn from the thames the main sewer of the greatest city in the world ancient or modern into which millions of tons of every description of refuse are swept yearly end of section seventy one